Section 26 of Jataka Tales by H. T. Francis and E. J. Thomas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Impermanence of Worldly Joys Once upon a time when Brahmadatta was reigning in Benares, the Bodhisattva was born into a Brahmin family. And when he grew up, he studied all the arts at Takasala, and then returned to his parents. In this birth, the great being became a holy young student. Then his parents told him they would look out a wife for him. "'I have no desire for a married life,' said the Bodhisatta. "'When you are dead, I will adopt the religious life of an ascetic.' And being greatly importuned by them, he had a golden image made, and said, "'If you can find me a maiden like unto this, I will take her to wife.' His parents sent forth some emissaries with a large escort, and bade them place the golden image in a covered carriage, and go and search through the plains of India, till they found just such a Brahmin girl. When they were to give this golden image in exchange, and bring the girl back with them. Now at this time a certain holy man, passing from the Brahma world, was born again in the form of a young girl in a town in the kingdom of Kasi, in the house of a Brahmin worth eighty crores, and the name given her was Samalabhasani. At the age of sixteen she was a fair and gracious maiden, like to an asperus, endued with all the marks of female beauty. And since no thought of evil was ever suggested to her by the power of sinful passion, she was perfectly pure. So the men took the golden image and wandered about till they reached this village. The inhabitants, on seeing the image, asked, why is Samalabhasani, the daughter of such and such a Brahmin, placed there? The messengers, on hearing this, found the Brahmin family, and chose Samalabhasani for the young man's bride. She sent a message to her parents, saying, When you are dead, I shall adopt the religious life. I have no desire for the married state. They said, What art thou thinking of, maiden? and, accepting the golden image, they sent off their daughter with a great retinue. The marriage ceremony took place against the wishes of both the Bodhisatta and Samalabhasani. Though sharing the same room and the same bed, they did not regard one another with the eye of passion, but dwelt together like two holy men or two female saints. By and by the father and mother of the Bodhisatta died, he performed their funeral rites, and, calling to him Samalabhasani, said to her, "'My dear, my family property amounts to eighty crores, and yours too is worth another eighty crores. Take all this and enter upon household life. I shall become an ascetic.' "'Sir,' she answered, "'if you become an ascetic, I will become one too. I cannot forsake you.' "'Come then,' he said, so spending all their wealth in almsgiving, and throwing up their worldly fortune as it were a lump of phlegm, they journeyed into the Himalaya country, and both of them adopted the ascetic life. There, after living for a long time on wild fruits and roots, they at length came down from the Himalayas to procure salt and vinegar, and gradually found their way to Benares, and dwelt in the royal grounds. And while they were living there, this young and delicate female ascetic, from eating insipid rice of a mixed quality, was attacked by dysentery, and not being able to get any healing remedies, she grew very weak. The Bodhisatta, at the time for going his rounds to beg for alms, took hold of her and carried her to the gate of the city, and there laid her on a bench in a certain hall, and himself went into the city for alms. 
he had scarce gone out when she expired the people beholding the great beauty of this female ascetic thronged about her weeping and lamenting the bodhisattva after going his round of begging returned and hearing of her death he said that which has the quality of dissolution is dissolved all impermanent existences are of this kind with these words he sat down on the bench whereon she lay and eating the mixture of food he rinsed out his mouth the people that stood by gathered round him and said reverend sir what was this female ascetic to you when i was a layman he replied she was my wife holy sir they said while we weep and lament and cannot control our feelings why do you not weep the bodhisattva said while she was alive she belonged to me in some sort nothing belongs to her that is gone to another world she has passed into the power of others wherefore should i weep and teaching the people the truth he recited these stanzas why should i shed tears for thee fair samala vasini past to death's majority thou art henceforth lost to me wherefore should frail man lament what to him is only lent he too draws his mortal breath forfeit every hour to death be he standing sitting still moving resting what he will in the twinkling of an eye in a moment death is nigh life i count a thing unstable loss of friends inevitable cherish all that are alive sorrow not shouldst thou survive thus did the great being teach the truth illustrating by these four stanzas the impermanence of things the people performed funeral rites over the female ascetic and the bodhisattva returned to the himalayas and entering on the higher knowledge arising from mystic meditation was destined to birth in the brahma world the testing of virtue this was a story told by the master when at jedavana about a brahmin who was ever proving his virtue two similar stories have been told before in this case the bodhisattva was the family priest of the king of benares in testing his virtue he for three days took a coin from the royal treasurer's board they informed against him as a thief and when brought before the king he said power on earth beyond compare this virtue owns a wondrous charm putting on a virtuous air the deadly snake escapes all harm after thus praising virtue in the first stanza he gained the king's consent and adopted the ascetic life now a hawk seized a piece of meat in a butcher's shop and darted up into the air the other birds surrounded him and struck at him with feet claws and beaks unable to bear the pain he dropped the piece of meat another bird seized it he too in like manner being hard pressed let the meat fall then another bird pounced on it and whoever got the meat was pursued by the rest and whosoever let it go was left in peace the bodhisattva on seeing this thought these desires of ours are like pieces of meat to those that grasp at them is sorrow and to those that let them go is peace and he repeated the second stanza while the bird had aught to eat ospreys pecked at him full sore when perforce he dropped the meat then they pecked at him no more the ascetic going forth from the city in the course of his journey came to a village 
and at evening lay down in a certain man's house. Now a female slave there named Pingala made an assignation with a man, saying, You are to come at such and such an hour. After she had bathed the feet of her master and his family, when they had lain down, she sat on the threshold, looking out for the coming of her lover, and passed the first and the middle watch, repeating to herself, Now he will be coming. But at daybreak, losing hope, she said, He will not come now, and lay down and fell asleep. The Bodhisatta, seeing this happen, said, This woman sat ever so long in the hope that her lover would come, but now that she knows he will not come, in her despair she slumbers peacefully. And with the thought that while hope in the passions brings sorrow, despair brings peace, he uttered the third stanza. The fruit of hope fulfilled is bliss. How differs loss of hope from this? Though dull despair her hope destroys, lo, Pingala calm sleep enjoys. Next day, going forth from that village, he entered into a forest, and, beholding a hermit seated on the ground and indulging in meditation, he thought, Both in this world and in the next there is no happiness beyond the bliss of meditation. And he repeated the fourth stanza. In this world and in worlds to be, naught can surpass ecstatic joy. To holy calm a devotee, himself unharmed, will none annoy. Then he went into the forest and adopted the ascetic life of a rishi and developed the higher knowledge born of meditation and became destined to birth in the Brahma world. A King's Life Saved by Spells Once upon a time when Brahmadatta reigned in Banaras, the Bodhisatta was a far-famed teacher at Takisila and trained many young princes and sons of Brahmins in the arts. Now the son of the king of Benares, when he was sixteen years old, came to him after he had acquired the three Vedas and all the liberal arts, and was perfect in them. He took leave of his master. The teacher, regarding him by his gift of prognostication, thought, There is danger coming to this man through his son. By magic power I will deliver him from it. And composing four stanzas he gave them to the young prince and spoke as follows. My son, after you are seated on the throne, when your son is sixteen years old, utter the first stanza while eating your rice. Repeat the second stanza at the time of the great levy. The third, as you are ascending to the palace roof, standing at the head of the stairs. And the fourth, when entering the royal chamber as you stand on the threshold. The prince readily assented to this, and, saluting his teacher, went away and after acting as viceroy on his father's death, he ascended the throne. His son, when he was sixteen years of age, on the king's going forth to take his pleasure in the garden, observing his father's majesty and power, was filled with a desire to kill him and seize upon his kingdom, and spoke to his attendants about it. They said, "'True, sir, what is the good of obtaining power when one is old?' You must by some means or other kill the king and possess yourself of his kingdom. The prince said, I will kill him by putting poison in his food. So he took some poison and sat down to eat his evening meal with his father. The king, when the rice was just served in the bowl, spoke the first stanza. With sense so nice, the husks from rice, rats keen are to discriminate. They cared not much for the husks to touch, 
but grain by grain the rice they ate. I am discovered, thought the prince, and not daring to administer the poison in the bowl of rice, he rose up and, bowing to the king, went away. He told the story to his attendants and said, Today I am found out. How now shall I kill him? From this day forth they lay concealed in the garden, and, consulting together in whispers, said, There is still one expedient. When it is time to attend the great levy, gird on your sword, and, taking your stand amongst the counsellors when you see the king off his guard, you must strike him a blow with your sword and kill him. Thus they arranged it. The prince readily agreed, and at the time of the great levy he girt on his sword, and, moving about from place to place, looked out for an opportunity to strike the king. At this moment the king uttered the second stanza. The secret counsel taken in the wood by me is understood. The village plot soft whispered in the ear, that too I hear. Thought the prince, my father knows that I am his enemy and ran away and told his attendants. After the lapse of seven or eight days, they said, Prince, your father is ignorant of your feeling toward him. You only fancy this in your own mind. Put him to death. So one day he took his sword and stood at the top of the stairs in the royal closet. The king, standing at the head of the staircase, spoke the third stanza. A monkey once did cruel measures take, his tender offspring impotent to make. Thought the prince, My father wants to seize me, and in his terror he fled away and told his attendants he had been threatened by his father. After the lapse of a fortnight they said, Prince, if the king knew this, he would not have put up with it so long a time. Your imagination suggests this to you. Put him to death. So one day he took his sword, and, entering the royal chamber on the upper floor of the palace, he lay down beneath the couch, intending to slay the king, as soon as he came. At the close of the evening meal the king sent his retinue away, wishing to lie down and entering the royal chamber. As he stood on the threshold he uttered the fourth stanza. Thy cautious creeping ways, like one-eyed goat in mustard field that strays, and who thou art that lurkest here below, this too I know. Thought the prince, My father has found me out. Now he will put me to death. And seized with fear, he came out from beneath the couch, and throwing down his sword at the king's feet, and saying, Pardon me, my lord, he lay groveling before him. The king said, you thought no one knows what I am about. And after rebuking him, he ordered him to be bound in chains and put into the prison house, and set a guard over him. Then the king meditated on the virtues of the Bodhisatta, and by and by he died. When they had celebrated his funeral rites, they took the young prince out of prison and set him on the throne. End of section 26